You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dunnett. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm your co-host, Chad Dundas, from ESPN.com. And joining us, as always, from USA Today and MMAJunkie.com, it's Ben Folks. Ben, I hesitate to even give you the opportunity to talk about it on the podcast, but about five minutes ago, you barged into my house, went straight to the refrigerator, pulled out an ice cube, and started icing your ear. Uh, do you want to talk about what's going on with you? I, I don't feel any need to defend my actions. I iced my ear. That's what happened. Well, Live I, with it. I know that you've been complaining publicly a lot about your cauliflower ear uh, these past couple weeks, both to let everyone know what's going on with you and I'm sure to make sure everyone knows how tough you are. I'm so, so tough. I, th- I thought I'm we so would tough. give you another opportunity to do that here on the podcast. Well, you know, I don't really care about the cauliflower developing on like what I'll term the cosmetic portions of the ear. Of course not, because a tough guy wouldn't care about his looks. I don't care. You know, uh, I, hey, I already got a wife locked down. I don't need yeah, for I, the time being. I don't even need to worry about that. But lately, it started to develop like inside my ear, like in the what I will term the hearing portion of the ear. It's like this little like bubble of fluid has come up, and it's getting to where like I can't get headphones in there very easily and that's when my quality of life goes down is when i can't get earbuds in my ear then i have to take a step back and and reevaluate so i've had to drain it a couple times which sucks yeah that could be a uh debilitating uh deformity especially in our deformity yeah i mean you know we both had the same recording technology for recording phone interviews which involves putting an earbud in and that's that's my phone ear is the right one i can't go left after all these years i'm a righty Deformed. Yeah. I'm just going to start referring to you as def- my deformed co-host. Yeah. So if I need to take a couple minutes here and there and ice my ear, you're just going to fucking live with it, all right? I guess so. I guess I will. Jeez. Ben, the music for this week's podcast oh, comes to boy. us from loyal CME listener and famous long-dead blues musician Robert Johnson. Oh, he, he actually makes music, too? Yes. These days, he records his songs under the name Stars and Satellites. And if you like what you hear, you can find more of it at facebook.com slash stars and satellites. But he doesn't have like a MySpace page or anything? He says he has a website, starsandsatellites.com, but he warns us that it has not been updated for a long time. To which I wondered, maybe not since like 1915? <laughs> perhaps he passed away? Anyway, I think the people that uh, expect maybe some singer, songwriter, blues jams will probably be surprised at the the tenor and nature of the music that Robert Johnson is making today. I can't wait. Well, the co-main event podcast comes to you in three rounds this week, as usual. In round number one, steroids don't help you hit home runs. It's all about hand-eye coordination and bat speed. You can take all the steroids you want, and it won't help you put the barrel of that bat on the ball. This calls skill. Also, during this episode of the Co-Main Event Podcast, we'll be doing live look-ins at every at-bat, so long as Vitor Belfort is chasing the single-season home run record. (laughs) And in round number two, Cain Velasquez defends his heavyweight title against Antonio Bigfoot Silva this weekend at UFC 160. I heard those dudes have fought once before. And in round number three, Mark Hunt's idiot friends dodged a major bullet this week, as I'm pretty sure the last thing that you want is the Super Samoan mad at you because you fucked up his chance to become the number one contender. Dickhead friends. All that plus, are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff? But first, like we always do about this time, let's do some listener mail. Listener mail. We got what I can only con- 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 what I can only call a- an absolute assload of TRT-related mail this yeah. week. Just an unbelievable crush of it. I guess to be expected. However, at the same time, if you send us a bunch of mail about something that we're obviously already going to talk about, your chances of us addressing your question are not that great because we're going to probably go for the questions that talk about stuff that isn't already going to be addressed later on in the podcast. But no, I have a plan, though, for what we can do. I've heard that. To make use of, of this we, we haven't crush talk, of We haven't mail. talked about it yet, but we are talking about putting some of the... Uh, the TRT-related mail we got uh, on the website because a lot of it was good. Yeah. Well, and I feel like especially now that our website has comments, uh, like a comment section, which uh, former UFC fighter Danny Boy Downs immediately abused. 
Oh, he's well, he's dominating it. He's dominating <laughs> the comment section in a way that makes you think that his retirement must be fairly leisurely. Yeah. Or, I mean, I don't even know how it happened, but I feel like we're going to wake up one of these days and he's going to be like the moderator of our website without us even like approving it or having any knowledge of it. Oh, God, I hope so. <laughs> really take some of the burden off me if yeah. you'd be willing to do that. Well, I feel like since we already have a little more action now on the website opposed to just how we had it before where it was just once a week we put a podcast up there and now we actually have some stuff, maybe we can take some of these thought-provoking uh, listener mail questions, put it on there. Now it's more like a website that actually has semi-regular content. How yeah, about that? That would be crazy if that happened. We'll see. Yeah, we'll try to do that later this week. Anyway, the first piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Eli. He writes, can we talk about the UFC's mismanagement of the flyweights? Let's talk about it, Eli. Why would John Lineker and Juicier De Silva... Wait a second. Who is this Juicier De Silva? <laughs> I'm Let's unfamiliar not. with this person. Are we going to get into this again? I'm only familiar with Juicier Formigia. I'm only familiar with Juicier uh, Formica, uh, which is Juicier Formigia's cousin who works in countertops. That's not true. You made that up. Uh, both top 10 flyweights. How can these, these two top 10 flyweights be on the Facebook prelims while Michael Pazineris There you and go. Nailed it. Warzeferino. Nailed it neither of whom have a Wikipedia page, both made their UFC debuts on the televised portion of the card. How does the UFC plan to sell flyweight, to sell flyweight championship contenders to the quote-unquote casual fans when they are buried in the prelims? I guess I would say for starters, it doesn't seem like they're planning to sell flyweights to the casual fans at this point, does it? <laughs> yeah, I wrote about this a little bit in my uh, reflections column for Monday. but it, Reflections it, column. It's a little bit of a chicken and the egg thing because it's like, I go back and forth between wondering, man, is the UFC just not giving the flyweights a chance to really build up a fan base? Or are they sticking them on the prelims because they feel like the flyweights don't have a fan base? Like, what do you do to solve that problem? Do you just be like, all right, for the next six months, we're going ham with the flyweights. We're not even going to look at their returns on it and see whether or not it's worth it. We're going to give it this amount of time and then step back and look. Yeah, but I mean, do you really think that they're looking like three and four fights deep on these FX cards being like, oh, we got we got to put we got to put guys on here that are going to draw in the viewers. I mean, clearly the the Zeferino fight and uh, and some of those other Brazilian guys that they threw on the, the, the televised portion was was to draw TV in Brazil. But like in America, like I don't really see that as as a, an overriding concern The 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 main event is clearly what they're trying to use to to draw in tons of viewers. And if you're going to try to build a, a a fan base for the flyweights, the only way to do it is to let people watch them. Yeah. I feel like, though, especially your first fight on the televised main card, whether it's pay-per-view or whether it's on FX, the first fight, the criteria for it should be, this should be awesome. Like, rather than... Even looking at like rankings and things like that, the first fight should be a bit of a slobber knocker, maybe. Really get people fired up about it. Uh, if you'd put, and I mean, it's easy to do this now when you know how all the fights turned out, but you know, if you'd put John Lineker and Azamat Gashimov, uh, leading off that broadcast, you know, there, there's an action fight there. I and mean, that's one thing you know, the flyer's gonna give you plenty of action. I mean, the complaint about them is not enough finishes. Instead, you got Rafael Natal and Joao Zeferino, who, Let's not pretend like Zeferino's doesn't sound like an awesome chain Italian food restaurant. Yeah, we got a Zeferino's pizza coming here probably as soon as we wrap up the podcast. Any day now, yeah. I think they got a thing where if they don't deliver it in 90 minutes, you get like $2 off or something. Yeah. So. <laughs> anyway, those guys go out there to start the FX broadcast and, and play around a 50-50 guard. <laughs> and we know we know who doesn't like that. Yeah. That's coming up later <laughs> in the show. I just feel like you need to treat the flyweights exactly like you would treat any other weight class. If you got two top 10 dudes fighting each other uh, with the possibility that one of those guys will be on deck, you know, for a, for a future flyweight title shot, you should put that on TV. You but should put that on I'm TV. old fashioned. We all know that. Especially when you have between fuel and FX, you've got so many fights that can go on TV. Like this small minority now gets shuffled off to, to Facebook and the only two flyweight fights on the card get stuck on the prelims. Second piece of listener mail this week comes to us from the Great Dane. He writes, okay. Most rational people believe TRT is dumb and cheating, but what can the average fan like myself do to change things? I assume Dana White 
already gets plenty of tweets asking him to do something about it, and I honestly don't have the time to continuously Twitter bomb him. I also don't feel it's fair to myself or clean fighters to boycott watching events. However, I will not be watching any events with Vitor Belfort fighting due to his handling of the issue. What can we, the listeners of the CME, do to help facilitate change? Would contacting Keith Kaiser directly do anything? Or does Dana White and the UFC have enough of a TRT quagmire on its hands that they will be forced to do something? I, will, I want to continue to see MMA evolve and prosper, but I'm feeling a little helpless regarding T- TRT. This is a great question, I yes. feel, and and was one of the few TRT questions that, that we can actually talk about uh, this Rather week. Rather than just yelling about something and then saying, sup with that at the end of it. Right. And I feel like, you know, if you are a guy who truly loves this sport, then you should be concerned by the things that are wrong with it. Um, and part of being a good fan and being a conscientious fan is caring enough about something to point out when things are wrong with it and when things need to be changed about it. Now, when you do that, obviously, I think you have to try to do it in an intelligent and a thoughtful way, and you need to try to make yourself look like a reasonable person, something that is sometimes lacking in the overall discourse of this sport, for instance. So I should paint my message across my bare chest and go out there and stand in traffic? I would advise that you just try to cut it into your chest hair Hmm. in order to really get the message across. I don't have all day here, Dundas. (laughs) Clearly, clearly you don't. Um, but, but I also don't think, you know, that said, I don't think that fans should underestimate the power that they have in a situation like this. If you feel strongly enough about it that you want to email Keith Kaiser, I say email Keith Kaiser. Just make sure that you write him a reasonable email that presents your, uh, your position in a logical way that will be taken seriously. And, and if you care enough about it that you want to pester Dana White on Twitter or contact the UFC in some way, I say by all means do it because those things do matter in this sport, especially with the UFC, who sometimes I believe are guilty of even overestimating and putting too much emphasis on the reaction of people on Twitter. Like if you, if you bother Dana White in a way that is, you know, not inflammatory, but is instead sort of smart, I think he has a good chance to sort of take it under advisement if he starts to see a lot of it on Twitter, because don't forget this Twitter is the, is the main way that Dana White interacts with the, with the, with the uh, normal world. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. It's like, if you email Keith Kaiser about Vitor Belfort, what do you want Keith Kaiser to say? Like, yeah, well, we didn't give him an exemption. I mean, right. No, absolutely. So I'm just saying one, in a general way, like email him about your concerns about testosterone replacement therapy. I would think you might, as, as far as contacting the UFC, uh, I would think you might even be better off emailing them as opposed to tweeting them just because like Dana White and the UFC probably see so many goddamn tweets in the days after an event that it's probably hard for one to even penetrate through there for them to notice it especially if you're reasonable uh you know you the other people with with the brain dead megaphone out there are are drowning you out so uh, maybe they get fewer emails i don't know maybe it would be better to compose like an actual thoughtful email send it to the website and explain this position that hey you know this is becoming a problem but honestly i think the uc is getting that point i don't know how you could not get that point now uh, especially i hope so because after vitor's win man it was for like five seconds, Twitter was like, holy shit, did you see that head kick? And then for like an hour and a half, it was like, oh, but TRT. Right. Yeah. And that's not what you want. And that's just that's going to keep happening. So uh, I think the UFC is going to be forced to take some kind of action there. I hope so. And I think we'll address that more fully during round one. One of the only other things I would say is that like don't succumb to the fatigue yeah. that sets in around issues like this it's going to take some time to affect any kind of change but like don't just be don't just tune out because you're tired of hearing about it because god knows we're tired of talking about it but we're still going to do it because well fuck we have to yeah we have to talk about because what's the alternative is it that you pretend that it's not something that's going on and something that is uh wrong with the sport because that doesn't seem like that would be very fun to just stick our heads in the sand there the final piece of listener mail this week comes to us from david neighbor He writes, pause the TRT discussion for a moment to consider the alleged incident between Brian Caraway and Kat Zingano at the Tough 17 finale. According to Zingano, Caraway elbowed her in the back of the head in passing and then proceeded to make fun of her about it with his girlfriend, Misha Tate. First, how did one of you booger eaters not break this story? (laughs) Wow. Does Does he mean us? 
I don't know. Okay. Uh, second, should Bloody Elbow have given Caraway more time to issue a response? And third, is there anything a fighter like Caraway or Mitrione can do to improve his image? You know, this was a weird story that kind of popped up here. And it was like right as if, you know, Brian Caraway had had such an awesome kind of moment where he the story was out there that he negotiated the bump and fighter bonuses, right? And everybody was like, oh, well, good work, Brian Caraway. Uh, and then Pat Healy tests positive for weed. He gets his bonus taken away. They give it to Brian Caraway. Instead of just sticking that check in his pocket and shutting up about it, uh, he went off about how he hated marijuana uh, despite having never smoked marijuana. And, man, if people on the Internet hate one thing, it's somebody who talks shit about marijuana. Yeah, uh, exactly. So they jumped all over that, and that already started things in a, a negative direction for Brian Caraway. And then uh, Kat Zingano and her camp came out with this about him elbowing her in the head. Uh, and Which is disturbing. Yeah. It doesn't if make true. Brian Caraway seem like a very cool dude, if true. Yeah. And it seems just weird enough to make me think it's true, even though I really don't. I mean, I wasn't there or anything, so I don't have any knowledge of it. But it seems like the kind of thing that it's hard to imagine Kat Zingano just making up out of nowhere, you know? Like, it'd be one right. thing and, if it was she's like... she's somebody's mom. She's not just going to lie about it, right? <laughs> she's trying to set a good example for yeah, the kids. Yeah, there you go. It's what, I, don't, I mean, I feel like if it was something like, oh, he stuck his foot out and tripped me as I was walking by, I'd be like, okay, well, that that could be made up or it could be just an accident. But, like, elbowing you in the head as he walked by seems really weirdly specific. Um, and as for the... I don't know if you saw this, but there was a kind of a... A hubbub among uh, uh, the the management team and, and and bloody elbow people about whether they made enough of an effort to get Caraway's side before running with the thing. I mean, some of that is just the nature of internet journalism, where you get something, you're going to throw it up there. If you get the guy's comment later, that's that's going to become its own separate story. And some of the times, especially. Uh, people do it all the time with the UFC is, Hey, we'll reach out to the UFC on, you know, to get a comment on certain issues, even though we know based on our experience with the UFC that they're probably not going to say anything on this. They're probably just going to give us the old no comment or something, but you reach out so you can say that you did it. Um, so I don't know how, how much you can really criticize them for that. Brian Caraway has since, I don't know if you saw his Chad posted on his Facebook denying all el- uh, head elbowing allegations. Yeah. I tuned out on this story pretty fast because <laughs> I can see that. I think face. for, what I hope are obvious reasons. I did think it was weird though that, that people, including Nate Diaz, which I think we'll talk about later on, uh, tried to give Brian Caraway flack for even taking the money. Yeah. Which. Like, just, no, thank you. Yeah. I don't, I'll, you keep that money. I would like to see these people get the phone call where someone tells them that they're going to get a free $60,000 for doing 65, nothing. 65000 When, if you're Brian Caraway, I'm just going to guess you need the money. <laughs> Uh, I'd like to see those people turn down that $65,000 when the UFC calls. Yeah. I wouldn't have. I would have said, here's my bank account number. You go <laughs> ahead and direct deposit that thing. Do I need to send you a voided check? Yeah. Like, how does this work? Remind me again, which number on my check is the routing number? Yeah. Uh, especially because what? That would have been somehow a perceived like ethical stand in favor of marijuana that you've been like, okay, I'll take that money. Why, why did uh, he get the money taken away from him? Oh, for marijuana. Oh, sir. I think not. <laughs> and also not that I want to get into a huge conversation about it, but dudes just need to stop smoking marijuana. They know it's illegal. I know it's a stupid rule. It shouldn't be illegal, but it is. Yeah. It's going to cost you 130 grand. Not worth it. Anyway, that's going to do it for Listener Mail this week. If you've got a question, comment, concern that you want to air to the podcast in future weeks, you can get in touch with us by going to our website, comainevent.com, and clicking the link at the top right-hand corner of the screen that says, Email the Podcast. As for right now, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one. We've talked a lot about TRT on this show, and unfortunately, I think we're probably going to have to keep talking a lot about TRT as long as it's a thing in MMA. Uh, but Ben, as you brought up a few minutes ago in Listener Mail, I'm somewhat hopeful that 
Vitor Belfort's amazing spinning kick knockout of Luke Rockhold last Saturday at UFC on FX8 turns into something of a tipping point for these guys that are using testosterone, not only because of the explosion of TRT and anti-TRT responses that it set off on social media, as you mentioned, but also because of the way it made us feel as fans. Yeah, I mean, when we see an unbelievable knockout like the one that Belfort had, a knockout of the year caliber kick, frankly, our immediate visceral reaction is to go, oh, holy shit. And then when we think about it for five seconds and we remember that Vitor Belfort is on TRT, it turns it into, oh, oh, man. Yeah, and that, I, was, I mean, that completely ruins the moment as a does. fan. It's like the worst possible feeling, right? You know, it. I was thinking about it after we watched the fight and how it weirdly almost makes me nostalgic for the days when we would watch a fight and merely have to wonder and speculate about who might be on steroids. <laughs> or, or wasn't that great when we were just like, I think that guy's probably on steroids, but I don't have any evidence. You know, he hasn't failed a, a test yet. Now we know that the dude's on steroids. We know in Vitor Belfort's case, a a known former user of steroids has now gotten permission, at least in Brazil, to use a different kind of steroid to counteract what are you know what could be the known effects of the other kind of steroid that he took. And having that just like hanging over everything, it does it just makes it impossible to just sit back and relax and enjoy the fight and enjoy a great head kick knockout like that for what it is. And that just sucks. Yeah. It just ruins it. Now, this was far and away the most vociferous public anti-TRT response that I can remember from a single fight, which I think is a good thing because if you're the UFC now, you can't possibly want to give the guy who evoked this response from his victory a chance to win your championship. No. Can you? Because, uh, I mean, I feel like that is the kind of thing that has the potential to damage the UFC's brand if you have a champion who a lot of people assume is a cheater. Doesn't it sort of undermine the entire middleweight division if that's the dude who has your belt? Well, and I wrote about this too. The what If you think about what the UFC's options are, given Vitor Belfort's current situation, right, that he can use testosterone in Brazil, he doesn't have an exemption, at least yet, that we know of anywhere in the U.S. Nevada has said he probably wouldn't get one there because of his past as a steroid user. Um, so what do you do with him? You can have, you know, a title fight with him in Brazil if you want to, but then that creates a thing of that you're just shielding him from increased regulation. And then, like you said, what if he wins it? Do you have to then have all the middleweight title fights as long as he's champion in Brazil? Uh, that's not exactly running toward regulation, uh, which the UFC likes to brag that it does. Or do you, do you tell him, Hey, get off TRT and you can go fight in Nevada or, at least apply for an exemption in Nevada so that we can have you fight in Las Vegas. Um, but then you don't exactly know how all that's going to work out. Or do you just keep him in Brazil and be like, yeah, we're not going to give him a title shot and we're not going to explain why the obvious number one contender based on wins and losses is not getting a title shot. We're just going to leave him there and hope he retires soon. Yeah, and more more than even from a logistical standpoint, I think having that guy as your champion just creates an unbelievable PR problem. Like, you don't want that dude at the top of the middleweight division to uh, set off a Twitter bomb of anger and, like, uh, uh, probing questions and just, you know, snarky anti-testosterone comments when he fights. I feel like that would be a, a public relations disaster uh, for the UFC. But at the same time, I was also kind of stunned at the number of people, fans even, who are casting the dissenting opinion here and are coming out of the woodwork to say, oh, man, it's just TRT. It's not a big deal. He's just using it to get his levels back up to normal. Uh -huh. Like, it's it's not steroids. It's not performance-enhancing drugs. It is a steroid. It, it is classified. Synthetic testosterone is classified as a steroid. The testosterone that your body makes is a hormone. But the synthetic testosterone that is synthesized from soy that then they give these people to inject, that is a steroid. But go on. You know, as I said at the top of the show, they sound to me like all of the baseball people that went on talk shows from 2001 to 2003 saying shit like, steroids doesn't help you hit home runs. Steroids didn't hit a single home run for Barry Bonds. Hand-eye coordination. Yeah, exactly. Like, e even when people are like, well, 
you know, clearly TRT didn't knock out Luke Rockhold. Like Barry Bonds hit 73 home runs in one year. (laughs) Well, and the difference is if Barry Bonds was cheating and what, like some pitchers got their feelings hurt or maybe got their stats fucked with, uh, you know, Luke Rockhold got kicked in his damn head. And I saw also people saying, well, you know, that TRT didn't make Luke Rockhold, you know, stop his feet and stand there and get kicked in the head. Well, man, some, some pitchers hung curveballs to Barry Bonds, too. But that doesn't mean that we should therefore look the other way on performance-enhancing drug use. And again, also the thing saying, like, I get where people are going to look at, like, that one kick and be like, well, see, that, that wasn't TRT. I mean, you do have to be skilled to pull off a kick like that. But, you know, where TRT helps you is all the way through training camp, you know, feeling better than you would uh, when you're waking up after a day of hard training or hard sparring. The the strength and explosiveness and speed, the increased confidence that comes with all that stuff. I mean, you can't just like isolate one move in the fight and and ask yourself whether TRT was totally responsible for that one move. You don't know. That's the thing that sucks about stuff like this is you don't know to what extent it's responsible for the guy's success. It's got to be. I mean, and I hear like other I people mean, saying if it's not responsible for his success. Then B, Vitor Belfort should just stop taking it. That's so thing. then we would be we would all be like, oh, man, what a career turnaround for Vitor Belfort. He's completely changed the way he fights. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, if it wasn't doing anything for you, you'd get off of it because right now it's obviously more trouble than it's worth, especially if it's not, if it's not helping you, if it's not a big part uh, of your success, you would get rid of it immediately because like, why would this be worth it? If it wasn't a big part of your, or at least if you did not believe that it was a part of your success. I don't know if we've ever seen a guy at 36 years old, both rebound from some down years, but also, change and augment his game as much as Vitor Belfort has. And to the extent to which TRT plays into that, I have no idea. But it's really sort of amazing to consider uh, how fast he is now, the uh, killer instinct that he appears to have regained, the takedown defense uh, that he has. He's stuffed Luke Rockle's only takedown defense or takedown shot like like it was nothing like he wasn't well, even concerned and also adding to his arsenal with these spinning kicks i mean vitor belfort has always been a guy who would come out in the first round and try to blitz you with crazy attacks but it was always these sort of like wild lunging punches you know that that when he was 18 and 19 years old came at you at just an unbelievably blinding speed now he's doing shit that he's never done before with like you're going to go out there and throw a lightning fast spinning wheel kick that knocks Luke Rockhold out where when we have never seen that from a technique standpoint from you before uh, and again I don't know how much of that is is performance enhancing drugs related but it sure seems weird well you know and I see a lot of people saying well hey why is Vitor taking all the heat what about Dan Henderson and Chael Sonnen and Frank Mir and those other guys. And I agree that those guys deserve some some uh, heat for that too. But I think the difference is, like for instance, like Dan Henderson, is who is like the TRT pioneer, um, but has an exemption and has had an exemption uh, in various like jurisdictions in the United States for years now. Uh, we'll talk about it. You ask him about it, he'll he'll just have a. I've had a reasonable discussion with him about it. Uh, and he's Wait, also, did he threaten to have someone beat you he up? He did not threaten oh. to have somebody beat me up. We'll get that's, to that in a second. That's weird. Um, but you know, there, there are a little bit of different circumstances for all of those guys, but Vitor is the one guy who we know has used steroids before because he tested positive for it. And that's, I think the huge difference is that, you know, you have a guy who has used a thing that one of the side effects of that thing is that it lowers your testosterone. If we can't be sure whether, you know, if he does have low testosterone now, if we can't be sure what caused it, that if it could have been his own decisions, his own decision to cheat earlier, then that to me, that doubt is enough to not give him the exemption, even if you are in favor of giving it to those other guys, which I'm not. Uh, but like, that's a very different situation. I feel like people are just ignoring that if you tested positive for, for steroids before, I might have an idea about how you ended up with low testosterone. And then it doesn't help if you're an asshole about it at the press conference, which Vitor kind of was. Right. And I think you have a point that one of the big differences between Belford and guys like Dan Henderson and guys like Chael Sonnen is that those guys have actually been granted a, a therapeutic use exemption 
in the United States by athletic commissions and Belfort hasn't. And, uh, in fact, as, as you just mentioned, Keith Kaiser has said, you know, he's probably not going to get one because of that past uh, 2006 uh, steroid test. But I also have to cast a little bit of dissent here in that I feel like people who say if you're going to kill Vitor for being on testosterone, you also have to criticize guys like Henderson and guys like like Sonnen, uh, you know, evenly. You have to be even handed as you dole out this criticism. I'm starting to think they have a real valid point. Uh, and maybe it's just because this fight and this knockout was sort of a watershed moment for me in my own mind about TRT, but well, it's the second head kick knockout in a row. Yeah. And I'm starting to just be really disinterested in all of these guys that are on TRT, uh, which sucks for me and makes me re-examine my thinking because for most of this year, I have been advocating to have Dan Henderson fight John Jones That's for, the, for the light heavyweight title. And as you know, the Dan Henderson, uh, Shogun Hua fight, from 2011 in in San Jose was scored by me to be awesome. It was. I and if I'm going to if I'm going to sit here on the podcast and denigrate Vitor Belfort's spinning heel kick knockout, then don't I also have to do the same thing to the greatest fight I've ever seen live? Yeah, that's a valid point. And and I you know, there is definitely a difference between the amount of heat that, you know, Dan Henderson has taken for it. Uh, and Vitor is taken for it. And I feel like some of that is can be accounted for with differences in situations. Some of it probably differences in personality. Uh, and like, and, and the different ways they've handled it in yeah. public. Like, right or wrong, if you handle a crisis in the way, not even a crisis, but if you handle like a public relations issue in the way that Dan Henderson has handled his TRT use, it's going to get you a lot more political capital with both the media and fans than if you handle it the way Vitor Belfort handled it in front of John Morgan at the press conference this weekend. And I think we should take a second because I've seen people, you know, uh, coming down on, on John Morgan a little bit on Twitter and being like, oh, you're trying to stir up shit. I, I'm glad that Vitor asked for somebody to beat you up, which first of all, Saying, can somebody please beat him up uh, when you're Vitor Belfort saying that in Brazil, in front of the Brazil, some of the Brazilian media, which yeah, is I known mean, to be... Uh, clearly, Vitor's just joking, but that's like, it's not that funny to say it no, in, in those circumstances. No, especially, I, I've been to one of those press conferences in Brazil. Some of those people, uh, they're not exactly impartial to begin with. They might take Vitor up on the invitation to, to try and beat John Morgan up, but... I think it needs to be said, a lot of these people don't seem to realize, like the same people who want to criticize the MMA media for, for giving Dana White a pass or for giving the UFC a pass or for not being tough enough, asking, asking the tough questions. If we would have got through that entire press conference without anybody asking Vitor Belfort about testosterone, that would have been embarrassing for the MMA media. That would have been something that all of us in that profession would have to feel ashamed of. And John Morgan is the guy who knew that it wasn't going to be popular, knew Vitor didn't want to hear it, um, but knew that it had to be asked. If, you, if you're an MMA reporter and you allow that press conference to end without asking that question, you're a pussy. You got to ask that question. And John Morgan asked it, even though he knew he probably didn't know Vitor was going to tell him to talk to the hand. That was unexpected just because, you know, it is 2013. People don't really say that anymore. Somebody had to ask it. He asked it. It makes me proud to work with the guy. Uh, and the people who want to come down on the MMA media for not being hard enough should take a step back and realize that, that question had to be asked. Whether you, regardless of, of what you think about Vitor's response, somebody had to ask that damn question. I'm glad he did. I feel like the moment you accuse a legitimate reporter in any field of quote unquote instigating or just trying to stir shit up immediately tips me off that you don't have a fucking clue about, about what that person's job is. Uh, and, I mean, the, and also that you don't have a fucking clue how little that person cares to stir things up. Yeah. <laughs> like people are constantly calling Ariel Helwani an instigator, man, Ariel Helwani doesn't give a shit about any of that stuff that he quote unquote tries to instigate about. He's just asking questions. Well, I mean, there are situations I feel like, you know, it became a, a popular thing to ask just anybody you talk to what they thought of Fallon Fox because it had resulted in enough interesting headlines that then it was like, hey, we're interviewing Cain Velasquez. Well, there's really no reason for us to care about his opinion on Fallon Fox since he is neither a female fighter nor in that weight class as a female fighter. But hey, maybe he'll say something controversial, so we'll ask him. That kind of stuff I get. I mean, I got it the other day. I was trying to text, uh, texting, trying to talk to Joe Benavidez, and I asked him if he had a couple of minutes to talk. And he said, as long as it's not about Fallon Fox. I was like, yeah, no, you're right there, man. <laughs> uh, so, you know, people do do some of that. But that this stuff, I mean, 
somebody's got to ask Vitor Belfort about the testosterone thing and the fact that he can't talk to people about it, that he acts like, you know, he's just insulted that people even want to talk about it. Nothing lets us know that even you do not regard this as like a legitimate, non-shameful, just totally above board medical treatment, quite like that reaction to the mere question about it. The question wasn't even like inflammatory. <laughs> uh, well, let's talk a little bit about Luke Rockhold before we wrap up this round. He told Josh Gross from ESPN the week leading up to the fight that he thought Vitor Belfort was cheating, that he felt like uh, TRT was was cheating. And in the wake of the loss and the knockout, I think, has been pretty classy in his effort to say all of the right things. But um, we talk at the beginning of the round about how we feel as fans and the damage this could do to the sport. But... The guys who are really getting screwed over here are the Luke Rockholds of the world, the Brian Stans of the world, guys who at least we have no reason to believe are cheating and guys that, that, that we feel even halfway comfortable about saying they're going out there and trying to do it naturally against these guys that are gassed up. I would add Michael Bisping to that list. Look how many people Michael Bisping has fought that have been on TRT that we know about. You know, and I, I do think... When Luke Rockhold, because he said in the post-fight press conference that TRT had nothing to do with that kick, I assume he knows that that's what people want to hear from him. That sure, that's the exactly. way you yeah. play it, right? Like you, you let other people be the ones to be like, hey, it's bullshit that Vitor is doing TRT and then kicking people in the head. You can't say it because you come off as a complainer, especially like in the immediate aftermath. And, you know, probably, probably really bummed out just in general about the whole thing. So I assume he knows that that, but I, I also assume that the rational part of his brain when he's thinking about it, it's like, man, that sucks that I had to go to Brazil um, because the dude who was on steroids can't fight other places. And then I get kicked in the head by that dude on steroids. That sucks. I, I don't, I would not blame him for feeling that way. And I'd be amazed if he felt any other way. All right, well, let's do, are you fucking kidding me? And then we will move on to round number two. Uh, I guess I can probably keep it short and sweet this, this week because I, I speak for the CME with my, are you fucking kidding me when, when I say people who don't believe that testosterone replacement therapy is performance enhancing, are you fucking kidding me? And I mean that seriously. Are you being serious right now when you say that? I hope you're fucking kidding him. I would just ask how many testosterone replacement therapy use exemptions are there in professional baseball? I'm going to guess zero. And how many are there in professional football? I'm also going to guess zero. And I would even say, how many are there in international wrestling where dudes have been cutting weight since they were six and seven years old? And if anybody can say that they have naturally occurring low testosterone because they damage their endocrine system from cutting weight, it's probably those guys. I'm still going to guess zero. I bet there's zero TUEs for testosterone replacement therapy in any of those sports. From, from talking to Dr. Don Catlin, who is on the board that... Uh, reviews therapy use exemptions for the Olympics, it makes it sound like if you have a pair of testicles at all, your odds of getting a therapeutic use exemption for testosterone are pretty low. These are 35 and, and 40 year old men who are professional athletes. So the people that are trying to stick up for them by saying that TRT is not performance enhancing, are you fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding me? My, are you fucking kidding me this week goes out to two people, really. First, Nate Diaz, uh, and then also even maybe a little more so to Nate Diaz's manager, Mike Kogan, who I know and who's a generally good dude. But when Nate Diaz tweeted out that Brian Caraway was, quote, quote, the biggest fag in the world, capital F, <laughs> for accepting the money, for taking the money that the UFC said, here, take this, and he took it and put it in his pocket, that made him the biggest fag in the world, according to Nate Diaz. And then when people pointed out to Nate Diaz, hey, maybe you shouldn't use a gay slur against somebody uh, on Twitter, especially given everything we've seen happen to dudes under the UFC's code of conduct recently. Uh, then Mike Kogan defended it, saying, quote, guess what? The word faggot, at least in Northern California and where Nate is from, means bitch. It means you're a little punk. It has nothing to do with homosexuals at all. So when Nate made the comment that he made, he didn't make it in reference to homosexuals or calling Caraway a homosexual. He just said it was a bitch move. Ben, I'm going to have to jump in here for just a please, second and point do. out to Mike Kogan that bitch and punk are both also jailhouse slang terms for homosexuals. <laughs> Thank you for pointing that out. All right. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Also, I think we're all, 
I don't think anyone feels like the situation is cleared up, like they misunderstood, and then he explains it that way, and you go, oh, okay. I thought he was accusing Brian Caraway of being a homosexual. Brian Caraway, the man who's known mostly for being in a relationship with Misha Tate. No, no, we already knew how he meant it. Uh, it's just that even if you're saying that that's what the word means to you, that meaning is undeniably informed by the main meaning, which is a slur for homosexuals. And you're then using it against a straight man as if to say, you're so bad, you're basically a homosexual. That's how this works as an insult. We all know that. Anyone who went to middle school knows that. You're not explaining anything we don't know. We know exactly what he meant by it. And we still think it sucks. You fucking kidding me with this? Are you fucking kidding me? You also don't get to decide what words mean to you. Uh, anyway, also, though, he could have said bitch or punk, and he would have gotten away with that. That, yeah. that USC would have had no problem with no, that. that. That probably would have been thing. fine. Anyway, uh, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number two right now. Jed, this Saturday night in Las Vegas, it's going down the UFC Heavyweight Championship, and it's Cain Velasquez against some guy named Bigfoot Silva. Something about this seems familiar. I don't. Maybe I had a dream. Is that it? Did I have a dream about this one? Ben, it I did a bunch be... of mescaline and I, I nodded off. <laughs> well, that would be perfectly in character with what I would see as as a normal Tuesday or Wednesday night from you. But just staying in, yeah. It will be just having a making a quick an early night of it. Uh, it will be almost a year to the day since the last time Bigfoot Silva and Cain Velasquez met. I believe they fought at UFC 146, and holy shit, did it turn into a horror movie? Yeah, uh, Cain yeah, Velasquez dude. gashed Bigfoot Silva wide open. He busted him wide open. Had him wearing the crimson mask, as you would say, in uh, professional wrestling parlance. And it was pretty much a whitewash. Or I guess that's probably not the best Red term wash. for it. But it was made Alexander Gustafson's gash look like a paper cut. Yes, it did. And 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 you know, and Cain Velasquez pretty much wiped Bigfoot Silva out after he cut him open like that. And it was the second loss in a row for Bigfoot Silva. He had lost his final uh, strike force fight against Daniel Cormier. And at the time we thought he might be down and out at that point and was probably fighting for his job when he went to Minneapolis uh, last October to fight Travis Brown. But at this point, I think you got to give Bigfoot Silva from some credit for being the dude who just fucking ruins the UFC's plans at every step of the way. He knocked Travis Brown out in that fight. And then went on, of course, to knock out uh, Alistair Overeem when they fought, uh, uh, at UFC 156, and uh, and now he finds himself back in uh, in this championship opportunity where he claims if he doesn't get busted wide open during the the opening moments of the fight, he could make it a different story. I guess my question to you is, do you buy that? No, I don't. I think Cain Velasquez will once again wipe the floor with Bigfoot Silva and bathe in his blood. Uh, the thing is, too, though, I feel I feel conflicted about it because I, I do feel like we, as the MMA community, have been unfair to Bigfoot Silva in a way. Like we oh, just, why they do that? We don't really like people just aren't buying him, you know. And it's always something like, you know, he, that win over Travis Brown. Travis Brown tore his hamstring in it. Uh, the win over Overeem. You know, he was getting beat in the first two rounds, and then Overeem. You know, got a little cocky and got worn out in the third round, and then Silva jumped on him. And so it's like there's always something that people can use to try and, you know, chip away at his wins. And the UFC, I guess, you know, wisely, instead of just trying to put him in fights where it's the idea for the other guy to, to launch into, you know, a new realm of fame and popularity based on beating Bigfoot Silva, they say, Finally, screw it. Just put him, put him in the title fight, and let's find out one way or another where this is going to go. I don't think anybody can really even right now totally imagine UFC heavyweight champion Bigfoot Silva. I feel like even you say the words out loud. <laughs> see? No one can really take it seriously, and it seems unfair to him. It does seem unfair, uh, and especially for a heavyweight that I think is like 18-4 and four or something. Like Bigfoot Silva hasn't been... Uh, slouch by any stretch of the imagination d during his career. But this is another situation where you look at the 
at the the intangibles, I guess you would say. And it seems like they all sort of favor Cain Velasquez in this fight. He's, I think the tangibles favor him too. <laughs> well, Bigfoot Silva is going to have a size advantage. That yeah. that would be the the okay. tangible, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, you know, the the rest of the uh, of the attributes probably favor uh, Velasquez. He's is gonna, speed he, a tangible or intangible? I said intangible because I don't know how you would measure it. <laughs> okay, but I mean, I expect uh, big, I expect Cain Velasquez to come in clearly with like a, a technique advantage. He'll be the better rounded fighter. He'll I be like like heart. He'll like that's an intangible. Courage. Way, way faster. If you get a better night's sleep, that's an intangible. And and I don't feel that uncomfortable putting those in Cain Velasquez's camp either, <laughs> to be honest with you. But you hey, seem, you look, look at that guy. You look at Cain Velasquez, you think that's a sound sleeper. <laughs> yeah, no, that guy he can sleeps sleep well any, at night. That guy can sleep anywhere. Uh, he, I mean, this is the heavyweight division. The margin for error will be extremely slim. And if Bigfoot Silva gets a chance to put one of those big old Christmas hams on his uh, – <laughs> On his jaw, you could have UFC heavyweight champion Bigfoot Silva. It's not out of the question. Anything no. can happen, bro. Anything Any, can anything happen. Anything can happen. And when, again, you look at his record, and it's like, yeah, he got beat by Cain Velasquez, and he got beat by Daniel Cormier, two awesome fighters. Arguably uh, the top two heavyweights in the world. And got beat by Fabricio Verdum, uh, another good fighter. the top five. And he beat, he beat Fedor. He beat your precious Fedor. Where's, Are you talking to me? <laughs> I'm talking to everybody. Okay. You're Where's your God right? now? He beat Fedor. Uh, you know, but there's always – it's like the same thing with his wins over Travis Brown and Alistair Overeem. You go back to his Fedor and it's like, well, Fedor is at the tail end anyway, and he outweighed him by, I think, 600 pounds. Uh, I'm, I'd have to go back and double-check the numbers on that, but it, I think that's close. what it is. At the weigh-in, I think, yeah. Bigfoot Silva weighed in at uh, – uh, 856 pounds. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, but still, it's one of those things where maybe you could get people to be like, okay, it's possible Bigfoot Silva could shock the world and beat Cain Velasquez and, as Chad Dundas would say, have a cup of coffee with the UFC heavyweight title. But nobody's like, well, this would be the start of the Bigfoot Silva is finally the guy who could defend that title more than two times in a row. You don't think Joe Joe Rogan is going to shout welcome to the Bigfoot Silva era when he's <laughs> up on the top of the cage? Well, even the promotional materials we saw this weekend uh, for UFC 160 bordered on a little bit of revisionist history by like showing his knockout over Alistair Overeem. Oh, the hyperbole was thick, I my friend. I believe calling it thick one of the, the greatest air. knockouts in UFC history. It wasn't even the greatest knockout we saw that night. <laughs> <laughs> and also kind of painting it as if like it was him just beating Alistair Overeem's ass rather than like him taking advantage of Alistair Overeem's lackadaisical uh, approach to that fight. Uh, you know, but again, it's like I'm doing it to him right now. The same thing where we're just like chipping away at the man's accomplishments, not taking him seriously. And I don't what is it because of the way he looks, because of the way he talks, because when he dances to his own entrance music, it seems like the worst dancing you've ever seen. I don't know what it is about the guy. Yeah, I think it's overall goofiness, right? Like you 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 look at him and and he he's ponderous and and slow, you might say galumphing. He goes out there and galumphs around the cage, and and you think, well, this other guy, Travis Brown, for example, is just going to be so much more athletic and faster. He'll be able to to go out there and, and use his speed and and be all of the places that Bigfoot Silva is not. Just the way uh, both Cormier and uh, and Velasquez did in in the first fight, but. You're right that that does totally shortchange Bigfoot Silva because, you know, when, when, when he lands a shot on you or he can get out there and, and work, uh, work his game and smother you and I guess against Al Alistair over him, wear you out. He's, he's not a joke. He's, he's legitimate. He's a legitimate guy. I don't know if, I don't know if he's going to beat Cain Velasquez this weekend, but hell, I didn't think he was going to win any of his other fights either. So shut my mouth. Yeah. I, I still, I do think he's too slow for Cain Velasquez, uh, and Cain Velasquez is healthy and comes in there with, with all the usual Cain Velasquez tools, including the intangibles, like getting a good night's sleep and having a really good shower that day and, you know, having a, a look, look good, feel good, really, fight good. Really That's what solid I really lunch, say. you know, a lunch where everything just came together. Uh, <laughs> it gets all that going for him. He's a tough guy to beat. It also seems, though, like we're kind of thinking of this as the placeholder heavyweight title bout until we get everything else sorted out. We find out. Man, is it going to be Junior Dos Santos and Trilogy fight for Cain Velasquez next? Uh, is, is Mark Hunt going to continue his improbable rise to glory? I'm sure we'll talk about all that next. But this does seem like the fight we do in the meantime while we wait to find out what the real heavyweight championship fight is going to be. 
man, I'm gonna I'm gonna laugh so hard at you when when we're all wearing our Bigfoot Silva T-shirts on Monday and the Bigfoot Silva era has begun in the UFC. Wow, I don't even know how we'd get the T-shirts that quickly. <laughs> we can do those iron-ons. Just go to the mall we'll and get go, some. Go to the mall. Get yeah. some iron-on shirts. Maybe made. we grab an orange Julius while we're down there. I'd love that. Anyway, uh, that's going to do it for round number two. We will be back momentarily with round number three. Well, Ben, amid some of the other uh, more bizarre news of the week, including the Caraway thing and the Diaz thing and the Cat Zingano thing, which I which I guess was all just one thing, but uh, <laughs> we also had this story where uh, Mark Hunt seemed like he he might not be able to get into the Americas because there were some visa issues and uh, uh, some possible incidents regarding what he referred to as one of his idiot friends. Uh, explain to us what the hell is going on with Mark Hunt and, and let me know, are you surprised at the, uh, the way that this Mark Hunt thing has got legs? Because, uh, in the week leading up to the UFC heavyweight championship fight, I saw a lot more people talking about whether or not Mark Hunt was going to make it to the event than what was going to happen in the, uh, Cain Velasquez Bigfoot Silva fight. Am I surprised that Mark Hunt has some idiot friends who might have gotten him arrested when he tried to, quote, help them out? No, I am not. Yeah, that's probably the least surprising of all of this. What do you think? When you ask Mark Hunt to help you out, I can't imagine that it's something like, all right, so it's a securities fraud, all right? So what we need you to do, Mark, I mean, you ask Mark Hunt to help you out, it's got to involve... you're trying to put together like a huge puzzle. There's <laughs> just one piece you can't find. So you're like, ah, oh, I'm going to call Mark Hunt. He's going to come over. He'll straighten this puzzle right out. <laughs> I got to imagine uh, that when you get Mark Hunt arrested for getting him involved in one of your schemes, that scheme is not, you know, selling rare African masks. It's punching somebody in the face who owes you money or something like that. Uh, I'm just glad I thought for a while there, we were going to, the UFC might have to do a top secret op, uh, smuggle Mark Hunt out of Australia and into the United States. Sort of like a reverse thing that they did, uh, when Todd Duffy went over to Japan to get knocked out by Alzer over him. Didn't they sneak Todd Duffy in and out of the country or something bizarre like that? Like he got there like 10 minutes before he was supposed to fight Alzer over him. They put a pair of gloves on him. I don't know how you sneak that guy anywhere. He's a pretty huge individual. And uh, with Mark Hunt, I was thinking it'd be like an Operation Dumbo Drop kind of thing. Oh, okay. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, like uh, like when uh, Frank Lucas smuggled all that heroin in in the caskets of uh, dead soldiers from Vietnam. Pretty much the same thing. Basically Pretty the same, much the same thing. thing to yeah. get Mark Hunt into uh, Las Vegas. But, I, you know, now it seems like he's got a visa. He's coming over. Woo! Disaster averted. Because, come on. How sad would you have been if Junior Dos Santos Mark Hunt got scratched from this card and then you had to make do with just Cain Velasquez elbowing Bigfoot Silva in the face again? Oh, I would have been sad. This this is the dictionary definition of the fun fight that we're always talking about. And it's also uh, a fight that's meaningful in the heavyweight division. And it's not often you get the double whammy. No, no, because, it's not. Because uh, I think that we're all interested to see whether or not Mark Hunt can carry on with the uh, Rocky type story that uh, that he's built for himself over the last few wins that he's been able to put together against a guy that we like we talked about on, on the podcast before uh, in Junior Dos Santos, who who's probably favored to win the fight. But if it's a guy that Mark Hunt is going to have a chance to beat better, a guy that's just going to stand up and try to let me bang, bro, than uh, uh, a guy who's going to take him down and, 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 you know, test the ground game. Well, here's what I don't get. Is that we hear beforehand that if Junior Dos Santos beats Mark Hunt, then it's probably Junior Dos Santos fighting for the title next. Especially if Cain Velasquez successfully defends his title, which we all expect him to do, uh, except for Chad, who really wants to get those t-shirts made. Uh, you know, if he, if he goes and beats Mark Hunt, that sets up the trilogy fight with Cain Velasquez, everybody makes a bunch of money, and it goes pretty much exactly the way we think. What if Mark Hunt goes out there and knocks Junior Dos Santos out, though? How do you justify not giving Mark Hunt the shot? He'll have won five in a row, uh, th the last of which was over a very recent uh, heavyweight champion. How do you not? I know it's kind of the same thing with Bigfoot Silva where people just look at Mark Hunt and they're like, they don't see it. They don't see UFC heavyweight champion Mark Hunt as being something that could conceivably be on a poster somewhere. But I don't see how you could deny him after that. The shirts are going to say Bigfoot is real. And then they'll have a picture of Bigfoot. That's Silva. not bad. Or yeah. like Bigfoot sighting. <laughs> yes, exactly. 
Where that's kind of the thing we're going for. Well, how well if he loses then and, and just gets like totally laid out? Do we have to make T-shirts of that where it says Bigfoot droppings? No, but that could wind up being a headline somewhere on ESPN.com. <laughs> I know they love a pun. I should probably send that to the editors right away. Uh, what are we talking about? Oh, Mark Hunt. Uh, you no, know, you have to give him the shot of the title, right? He, he, he'll he have like an unprecedented win streak in the uh, in the heavyweight division with wins over Junior Dos Santos and Stefan Struve, Jack Congo, Ben Rothwell, and everyone's favorite fighter, Chris Tusherer. 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 Uh, and plus, you know, not only that, but I, I think he, he would be a, a, a really marketable story for the UFC. They could, you know, like I said, it's sort of a rocky thing. It's this guy coming back from, from, oh, Jesus, like six straight losses. They and tried to pay him off. They tried just to pay to stay him off. Home. They didn't want him to fight in the UFC. He came in and, and just took the division by storm. I o- think overcame his affiliation with idiot friends. That's right. Uh, which some of us, including me, still struggle with. Uh, <laughs> Some I mean, of us are struggling with it this very moment. Oh, stop it. Uh, yeah, I think he's a marketable guy as long as he would uh, stoop to answer questions with more than just one word. I think no, that he can't, he can't start that now. They could probably uh, really, really do something with him. And I think everyone would be rooting for him if he, uh, you know, managed to, to kick the gates down and storm into a title fight. Plus, uh, you could just make a fun highlight reel of his walk off knockouts at this point. Nobody else does that. Nobody else has the walk-off knockout thing down as much as Mark Hunt. When he hits you, like he knows way before the ref knows that it's over. And he has to go over there and explain to the ref why you're knocked out. Meanwhile, you're trying to pull your tooth out of your cheek. Uh, that I mean, what else do you want out of a heavyweight if not that? Walkabout. That would be my headline for the Mark Hunt. I don't know if that works. No? No. All right. Well, I mean, it was just an idea. That's- yeah. We'll, no, they're we not all, keep, I'm just spitballing yeah, over they're here. They're not all going to be gold, I guess. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we can keep brainstorming. This is also the rare uh, heavyweight fight, I guess rare fight in any division, where uh, two super nice dudes yeah. are about to fight. And, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to be sad to see one of them get knocked the fuck out, but I think that's probably what's going to happen. Well, here's the thing. We know that Mark Hunt uh, has a chin made of adamantium. Uh Tough to knock that guy out. We know Junior Dos Santos has kind of prided himself as a knockout artist. Uh, he can also take you down. We saw him take Shane Carwin down at the end of his fight, as, kind of as if to prove that he could. Do you see him taking Mark Hunt down and trying to go that route, trying to admit that he does not want to stand there with Mark Hunt and, and trade power bombs? Oh, man, I really honestly don't know. It probably depends on how things go on the feet. I mean, we've seen Junior Dos Santos put just an unbelievable 15 minute long beat down on people before. So we know he's not averse to that. He will do that if that's what it takes. Uh, and that could be the kind of thing that, that, that could play out in this fight. You know, Mark Hunt obviously is going to be super game and is, is certainly not going to fold no matter, <laughs> no matter how things go for him over the course of those three rounds. So I could see Junior Dos Santos just kind of using his movement and, and, and perhaps his, his, uh, his speed and his more, his more technical striking to sort of, uh, uh, fluster and, uh, and wear out Mark Hunt and, and, and Hunt just sort of, uh, accepting a terrible beating. Well, the thing is, too, though, that Junior Dos Santos is coming off from that fight with Cain Velasquez where the thing that got the ball rolling in the wrong direction for him was getting caught with a big right hand, right? For sure, and that's one of the things that makes you think Mark Hunt definitely has a shot here. Yeah, and it's got to make you a little gun-shy, I would think, if you're a Junior Dos Santos, especially if your plan is, well, I'll see how it goes on the feet, and if I don't like it, I'll take it down. You don't really get to do that as a heavyweight very often, especially with a guy like Mark Hunt, because... By the time you find out that it's not going that well on the feet, the fight might be over. The walkabout has begun. <laughs> the, God damn it. <laughs> or, you know, even if the fight's not over, you might already be too hurt to make a comeback within a, a three-round distance. You know, So uh, that's a risky game to play. And I think it presents a lot of challenges for Junior Dos Santos. Plus, you know, I'm sure some part of Junior Dos Santos, you know, he wants to to go back out there and, and knock somebody out to prove that hey that fight against Cain Velasquez that was one bad night but you know he's still the baddest heavyweight around if you go out there and you have to just double leg Mark Hunt and try and uh, beat him from the top position for three rounds that seems like you know you just got by also if you're Junior Dos Santos it would be quite a precipitous fall for you to to 
I think be 15 and one before the Cain Velasquez fight and then, and drop the title to, to Cain Velasquez and then lose to Mark Hunt. That I don't be- know. The loss to Mark Hunt, I can't feel too bad about that. You know, if you then turn around and you lose to like Travis Brown or something and you got three in a row, that's a precipitous fall. Uh, but I, I don't, I mean, Cain Velasquez, obviously top heavyweight in the world right now, Mark Hunt surging and always has that big power. So, I don't know. I, I don't know if I'd feel too bad about that. You know, I did talk to him, though. I got a story in the... We're doing a another one of our pullout sections in USA Today, which yeah, I know you love, go. Chad. Shameless plug. Which I know you love. Uh, we're doing one for, for UFC 160. Uh, talked to Cain Velasquez for a story on him. And I also talked to Junior Dos Santos. And one of the things I asked him was about the why they do that moment uh-huh. uh, at the end of the last fight. And he admitted that that, that hurt. He did not understand that. Uh, didn't Didn't know why people were booing him. Uh, and, uh, that, that one stung a little bit. So what are we looking at? Five, 5,000 words about Junior Dos Santos's pain coming back from that moment? Please. This sort is, of this a, is for print. A lifestyle thing. I don't have like time the... for that stuff in print. All right. Well, uh, Pick let's. it up this Friday, UFC 160 pullout in USA Today. None of these people are going to read that, man. No, these people don't Some of them might be people. staying in hotels. You don't know. <laughs> uh, also oh. speed is totally a tangible. I don't know what I was thinking yeah. in round two. Anyway, let's do uh, Just Saying Stuff, and then we'll get out of here for this week. Uh, ben, my rare positive Just Saying Stuff this week is going to go out to uh, John Cholish, huh. who uh, announced uh, in the wake of his uh, second-round submission loss to Gleason Tebow that, he, that he's calling it quits and uh, uh, cited low fighter pay as his reason for for walking away from MMA, he said it wasn't a good investment. And, you know, I've said it before on the podcast, but if you're 29 years old and you've got a degree from Cornell University and you've got yourself a good job on Wall Street as, I believe, a commodities broker, yeah. that uh, you should, in fact, get the fuck up out of this sport as soon as you possibly can. Yeah. And so it seems like Cholish probably making a good decision. I also liked uh, to, to hear his comments today on the... Uh, on the Helwani show about uh, about fighter pay and how he thinks that uh, that the the undercard fighters ought to get paid more because I always think it's interesting to hear uh, what guys really think when they are no longer encumbered by the uh, the the worries of having to play nice yeah. inside the industry. So when they're not you know, in the UFC and not trying to get back, then maybe they can be honest. Yeah, it's always nice to hear those those thoughts, and I hope that uh, that more guys start to be more honest about about their feelings about the conditions that they face as fighters. So I'm just saying, nice work, John. Cholish, way, way to be. You know, one of these days uh, when I don't have a job or a family or any responsibilities whatsoever and have all the time in the world, I'm actually going to sit down and watch that Helwani show. One of, the, one of these days. When you've got a, maybe when you take a week's vacation yeah, from the I'll job. Take, I'll take a week's vacation, uh, pack my wife and daughter off to, you, to stay with her mother. You'll and be then, able to watch an entire single episode if you, yeah, if if you have I, a week off. Yeah, and if I don't, if I don't have to sleep or, and if I pre-prepare all my meals. Yeah, I'll be able to sit through one. My just saying stuff, also, I guess, kind of a positive just saying stuff. Uh, I'm just saying no one, but no one hates the 50-50 guard more than UFC lightweight Michael Chiesa. Hates it. Hates it. I didn't even know it was possible to have strong enough feelings about the 50-50 guard to hate it. But as soon as the fight between Rafael Natal and uh, Joao uh, Zeferino... God, that Zeferino's pizza should be showing up any minute now. Yeah, man. I, I hope they're not more than 90 minutes late. I hope the driver calls if he gets lost. Yeah. Uh, as soon as that fight made it into the, the 50-50 guard zone, I think it was only there for like a minute or two, uh, Michael Chiesa's Twitter just blew up. With vitriol, I'm just going to read you. I'm just going to read you how his thought process went. Started out, if I was in Brazil, I'd hop in the cage and bitch slap these guys for scissoring each other. Then, if Vitor was playing 50-50 guard with these guys, he'd start licking their feet. I don't know what that's about. Instead of meeting in the middle and fighting, these guys met in the middle, laid down, and started playing footsies. Hashtag, fuck 50-50 guard. Rimshot. The winner of this fight is definitely referee Leon Roberts. Move of the fight, standing these bums up for 50-50 guard. Congrats, Leon. <laughs> then, after it was over, congrats to Raphael Succo Natal. If he would have known the counter 50-50 guard was being a man, then maybe he would have finished him. Youch. Followed by, finally, I want to see some 50-50 guard on the main card. Hashtag shit no one says. I'm just saying, 
No one in the world cares as much positively or negatively about the 50-50 guard as Michael Chiesa. And man, he comes down on the negative side. <laughs> yes, he does. Well, that's going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. We'll be back next week uh, breaking down everything that went down at UFC 161. So be sure to tune in for that. As for right now, though, we're done. We're through. We're out. Here's my question. Punching power. Tangible or intangible? Tangible. Right? Uh, how about uh, stick-to-itiveness? Intangible. It's possible I don't know what these words are. Brawlability. Tangible. Intangible. <laughs>